episode of Beyond the Front Door is brought to you by Peak Properties in Cheyenne, Wyoming. With over 75 years of combined experience in real estate, it's our goal to help clients buy and sell and save by providing the information you want and the professional services you expect. Let us help you with your residential, commercial, HUD, income-producing properties, as well as vacant land and rental needs. To learn more, visit www.sellcheyenne.com. Okay, well, welcome. Um, You're listening to Beyond the Front Door podcast with Lindy and Rhea, and we are real estate agents at Peak Properties in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and we bring you real estate stories that will inspire you, make you laugh, cringe, maybe cry. Come on in. We put the real in real estate. We are very excited for our guest today. We are. We were. We've been looking forward to this. I should probably Uh, put my hat on. (laughs) That's got to be tough for your family because a lot of them like St. Louis, right? Well, the Boyers do. Yes, the Boyers like St. Louis. Um, So I'm wearing my Yankees hat because our guest today is (laughs) Jerry Innes, um, and he is the owner of Two Doors Down and the Factory here in Cheyenne, and. Dodgers fan. Huge. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> so I do wear my Yankees hat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so you want to know why? And I'm I also a, got some cheap so this stuff is, that I mean, I'll talk about later. A little off topic, but the reason why I'm a Dodgers fan yeah. is because my entire family are Yankees fans. No way. My dad's from New York City. My cousins and uncles and stuff that were out in New York, they were season tickets to the Yankees. And, um, I have a cu- one cousin and one uncle in particular. They're huge, like maybe bigger. They're baseball fans, but maybe even a little bit bigger than I am. I like they go to shows where there's going to be autographs and yeah. they mm-hmm. trade cards and all that sort of thing. But anyways, I think my first really recollection of baseball was probably in the early '70s, and I think the Yankees and the Dodgers are playing in the World Series, and everybody's pulling for the Yankees. So, true to my being. I had to be different, so ah, I started pulling yes. for the Dodgers, and that's how I became a Dodgers fan. That's well, cool. and baseball was the major sport uh, during that time period, yep. right before football. I mean, everybody was invested in baseball, yep. so I'm yeah, that completely makes sense, and I'm glad that we're still, uh, what do you want to say, uh, competitive yeah. <laughs> in this regard. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> no, baseball's. Uh, I I like baseball for probably different reasons than most people. I mean, I enjoy the game in general. But I really try to be a student. And when I watch the game, I'm literally trying to call pitches. Yeah. Oh, um, interesting. Seeing, you know, strategies and stuff like that. See if I align with somebody that gets paid a lot more money than mm-hmm. I would ever dream of doing it. And uh, I, and I'm undefeated from the couch. So oh, like, nice. Makes, I've never, <laughs> I've never lost. I've always made the right call. So if that's any consolation, maybe. Well, God goodness. So maybe some team needs to recruit wrestling. you right yeah. now. So then, with that being said. Did you make this call for this seven million dollar contract for Shohei? The seven hundred million dollar seven contract? million seven hundred million seven hundred million. Yeah, Ten this years. is the largest sports contract ever. Yeah, uh, you know, I was really on the fence about it. I would love to have the player, um, but that kind of money, as again, as a person that kind of evaluates the game a little bit, I said, well, shoot for seven hundred million dollars, we could probably go get two Cy Young candidate type pitchers and mm-hmm. two all-star MVP caliber position players, which, I mean, not to take anything away from Shohei, but the fact of the matter is he played with the best baseball player of all time in Mike Trout, and then he comes along, and he's this freak, and they didn't win anything. So I like to win. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so I have to look at it in that terms. Yeah. Like, okay, what did, what did they do? And not only that, they had a couple of players that had just come off of World Series championships that would join the team, the Angels. So... Um, so it's kind of hard to, to navigate. I mean, I know it's it's. Um, I want to know when there's like a cap to all this because well, every every team. I mean, you look at football players too, and it's just that. crazy. And I'm like, mm-hmm. my husband gave me some notes today okay. <laughs> since you were going to be here, <laughs> and the hat. Um, but yeah, I, he, when I read largest sports contract, I'm like, I feel like that's what we keep hearing. And then the next person the next guy comes along and and it's like this guy's getting there's so much more involved in it um so when you look at the there is a cap in baseball i mean what it's called luxury tax so basically when they get over a certain part they have to pay a certain percentage to the league which disperses through the, the through the league okay and then there's levels of that so the higher they go there's more tax involved 
So that's um, one of the reasons why uh, people are kind of up in arms about Oshohei's thing because the way he deferred the money. So the, the, the Dodgers aren't taking that huge hit right now. Matter of fact, he's only getting paid two, $2 million a year. Yes, I saw that. Right now, yes. For the first 10 years. Yeah. So like similar to like really elite athletes who are focused on winning, i.e. John Elway, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, those guys – they come back in and they renegotiate their contracts down so they can get players around them so they can continue to win. Right, because, because they want to win. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's there's a certain amount of money that's so much or enough, I, I would think. I mean, when you start getting into hundreds of millions, what what is one more hundred million mean, yeah. really? I mean, honestly. Mm-hmm. But, but then you have the other side of it, which are, you know, um, all the endorsement stuff. I mean, so the opportunities, that's why a lot of these players – so you take a kid, guy like Shohei, who's going to play in uh, L.A., where the California taxes are going to be upwards of 55% of wow. his income. Mm-hmm. Um, why would he want to do that when he can go to a smaller market and make more? It, it, he won't make that kind of that $700 million because they don't have to pay him that $700 million. They can only pay him $400 million, which is going to be the same amount of money, essentially. Mm-hmm. But um, he's in a market where he's going to be his endorsement and all the other stuff is going to be at a, at a, at a higher level. So that's where he's going to make even more money. Like I said, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's just strategic, but then yeah. it comes down to like, I want to win true competitors. They yes. want to win. I was, yep. yes, I love watching like Derek Jeter. Mm-hmm. I mean, not to bring up a Yankee, but it's okay. I like he, him. he has, I mean, his mentality and just, and like Kobe Bryant and stuff, you just listen to them and you're like, yeah, they do whatever it takes to win. Their pursuit of excellence yes. is mm-hmm. I, I find athletics and sports to be whenever books are written about leadership and they reference you know players or teams or whatever the case is I find it fascinating Mm -hmm. because the pursuit of excellence is above and beyond um, the normal person I would say you know the level of commitment that it takes and um, you know of course a few other factors such as timing in the world you know the stars aligning and all of that but I agree it's it's well it's it's something that's a in that person like you Mm -hmm. cannot train it you cannot it's something that gives them an edge and they can always that's that's their mental part that breaks their comp their competitor if you ever listen to stories there's players that talk about kobe i I can't remember who it was exactly a pretty good player i think it was somebody from maybe the spurs or somebody when the spurs were you know competing at the same time and the guy showed up to um they were playing in la and he showed up to the arena to to get loose and start showing up and Colby was there. Mm-hmm. And he worked out for like an hour and a half or two hours, and Colby was still there. And yes. so he kept staying to see how long. And Colby, he went and showered, he went and ate, came back. Colby was still there. And um, he said, like, from a, a mental standpoint, like, how am I going to beat this guy? Like, mm-hmm. I, he just has this this uh, thing about him. That the he's Mamba gonna, mentality, yeah, exactly, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that he's just not going to be outdone, outworked, yep. out, whatever. And so um, that's when it comes down to that fourth quarter um you know end of the game everybody's tired and and then he's just he's just got one more gear it's like he's been on cruise control and now there was a player the other day i wish i would have seen it i um i remembered who it was but he was talking about that he said he went off and he was kobe was guarding him the whole game and every time he made a shot kobe kept saying nice shot nice shot you know and just kind of like complimenting him and um when they got into the fourth quarter he goes he said something to the effect like uh that's that's it for you or something like that <laughs> and the guy just like he just said he just turned it different gear and like like and now i'm turning it on yeah and he's yeah. like, <laughs> and he goes, How, like did you have fun he's just there? making because the right pass he, <laughs> yeah. he said he threw a ball off the off the backboard rebound it and shot it over to the guy in the corner who pounds the yeah. ball hits a three-pointer and he's just like where is this guy coming from <laughs> like so he, he's you know so when you have that and you have that michael jordan you have that tom brady i use tom brady in baseball a lot with yes. my kids because yeah. i say you know, when you look at a picture of Tom Brady before he was drafted, that like you just look at it, you go, that's not a like. And that's what I tell the kids all the time. It's yes. like you you think you put him on a take him have him take off his shirt at that time, line him up on the yep. the goal line, and say, okay, pick my team. He's going to be the last guy he picks. Then you have him run or do something. He's still going to be the last person. Mm-hmm. But mentally, he can take the game and slow it down so much that he just sees things unraveling. So in a two and a half second play. It might play out like it's five seconds. And if you ask a defensive back in football, can I cover a receiver 
for five seconds, they'd go, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. Like after about two seconds, mm -hmm. that defender better be making havoc in the backfield. So that, you know, and in Tom Brady's mind, he's just seeing things unfold. So, I mean, I think. I, I've never, yes. Oh, never I talked to this yeah. guy, but I can only assume that that's what's happening. Things are things are just unfolding in slow motion to him. So mm -hmm. I've heard Tom Brady talk a little bit about um, before he was drafted and the picture that you're talking about, mm -hmm. essentially, and that he talks about how he consumed, like, the regular American diet during that time. Like, he wasn't focused on his – you know, eating healthy or, you know, the level of exercise that it requires. And what and I... And then they, like, they didn't play him. And so right. then he had to, like, earn it. Yep. Yes, but he talks a little bit about that you can't... you got to take a bite of the elephant one bite at a time. So what I really loved about listening to him, and he, again, a great leadership example as well, that he talks about how if you have things about yourself that you need to change, you do one thing at a time. Don't try to change five or ten things about yourself all at once, he found that by changing one thing and really committing to that one thing and then moving on to the next thing, you just kind of evolve as a person and what you need to accomplish and whatever it is that you're trying yeah. to do. So, yeah, great example. Well, and I, and I think <laughs> oftentimes it's not somebody that comes out that you say, well, I knew that guy was going to be a superstar from the time he was eight years old. Right. No. You no. know, it's it's some kid that didn't get a chance, mm -hmm. didn't get, you know, and and and, and you know, that's, that's the thing, the fortitude that you have to have, and especially in, in sports, you, you get knocked down so much. And even, I think, in my personal opinion, baseball's the hardest because you can't survive on your size. It will help you. <clears throat> you can't survive on your speed. It will help you. Right. You have to have the mechanic, and above all, I think you have to have the mentality, the which because you get beat up so much, mm -hmm. it spits, it chews you up and spits you out, and then you got to start over, and you just never get to that pinnacle. You know, when we deal with the kids with hitting and stuff like that, it's a, you know, just about the time you think you figured it out, something's going to happen. We have to make an adjustment. It's mm -hmm. always an adjustment. There, there's never you don't get the MLB guys that go, oh, I figured it out in high school, and I've never had to go back in the cage and, and work on it, it again. Yeah. It's, it's always worked. Yep. And and so many times it's just it's just um, it's mental. Um, Mike Bard is uh, I believe he's still the uh, hitting coach for the Atlanta Braves, and so I, I did some work with him and whatnot. And he worked with Braxton when he was younger, and we talked about this story. He had a player that um, he was working with. He was his his hitting coach. He he did David Freeze. He did. Um, just a bunch of guys. He worked for the Rockies as well. So um, Matt Holliday was one of his guys. But anyways, he, he was working with this guy, and he um, he was a rookie, and he was really struggling. And to the point where the wife called Mike and said, "Mike, you got to come out here. Like, he's not right." And I can't remember the guy's name exactly. Um, he played for the Blue Jays, but um, so he got on a plane and he flew out to this game. So he during the game he's like getting every time he has an at bat he's trying to get a different angle different view of where his at bat is trying to figure things out and he said he noticed that when he was getting ready to swing he could see on his back cleat he could it was he was getting a glare off his back cleat and so the very first thing they addressed when they after the game they got in the is he said hey i think you're doing something with your back foot just lifting it up oh. or twisting it a little bit instead of being like this he just kind of kept working it over time just away they went back and they changed it a little bit and the next day, I think he had, in the next two games, he had like three or four home runs. He just wow. got back. <laughs> just that teeny little thing. But I, <laughs> to me, I don't know. I, it may have been that, but it may also have been something that just took that guy's mind Mental. off of it and just said, yeah. hey. Um, this is a simple do fix. This, just fix this. Mm -hmm. Like, I think this is a problem. And the kid, guy does it, and then he goes, okay, that's the problem. And then all of a sudden, his confidence is back yeah. up. When you, when you listen to baseball players, Typically, they interview about like how they're doing. You know, you're really, you're really in, on fire. You're really seeing the ball well. This, there's usually two words that they use within all the words. But you always hear they're comfortable and they're confident. Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm comfortable in the box. I feel like I belong there. I'm ready for it. And yeah. so, you know, I think, and that confidence comes along. You know, if you're if you're in the middle of an O for twenty, you know, you can either be, oh, I really don't want this, another at bat. Or you can be, hey, this is the one that's going to break me out. So 
that confidence comes out and you feel comfortable. And that's, I think that's where you separate. That's where guys actually yes. make it to the big leagues and <clears throat> stay in there versus, because I, I will say all the time, there are better ball players out there that you never see on TV. Yeah, right. But they just didn't have that, I think. The I mindset. Believe, they didn't have that right mindset. They couldn't yep. handle the adversity. They couldn't handle, you know, they feel like um, they have to be that guy all the time. And when they weren't, you know, they, they couldn't handle that. So mm-hmm. they had to walk away from it. So I, so I think that. if you listen to the, I just saw this in the last week, you know, the Kelsey brothers mm-hmm. um, that have their podcast, New Heights. And they have a little sign that sits somewhere Uh, that they've taken a picture of but it says hungry dogs run faster Mm -hmm. and I thought oh I'd love to have that for our studio because it speaks to what exactly what you're saying that your mindset and your hunger for whatever goal that you're trying to pursue is really going to make or break you know you and make the difference in whether you accomplish your dream or not so which is exactly what we like to talk about here so yeah Yeah, so let's talk about that (laughs) yeah um Tell, just tell us, like, how did you, how did this all start? How did you, have you always lived in Cheyenne? Just, like, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, and about I was born and raised here. Um, so was my wife, Sandy. Um, pretty simple family. Uh, my mom, um, she actually um, was born and raised here. She met my dad. He was in the military. So he came from New York in, uh, I think, the, I guess, probably the mid-50s or something like that, 55, 56. And um, he got off the plane. Now you can imagine Cheyenne in the 50s. The airport was out of town, right? Yeah. yeah. And so he's coming from New York City. He was born and raised in the South Bronx. Um, it's probably culture shock yeah, a little so bit. Yeah, so he got off the plane. He looked around, and the pilot was like, what's the matter? He says, I, I think I'm in the wrong place. Like, Where are you supposed to be? And he said, I'm supposed to be in Cheyenne, Wyoming. He said, welcome home, son. And he said, get off the plane. And so he looked around. But anyhow, he met my mom, and... Um, he um, finished his, his uh, tour with the, the Air Force here and went to the University of Wyoming, got his degree. And um, actually, very proud of my dad. I, I'm, you guys probably don't even know this, but there's a monument at the county building and that sits out no. in front. That's my dad. Oh. And um, he, he did a tremendous amount for this city. Um, I was very fortunate. He, uh, he actually awarded me my diploma when I graduated high school. He was on the oh. city, uh, school board. He was in many, many activities. He was, he was a city county planner for a long, uh, a lot of years. And then he left and went into the private sector. Um, as realtors, you probably understand some of the challenges that we face right. with our city and stuff. And, and um, I, I had the privilege, um, not in a necessarily a good way, but going to a lot of city council meetings, planning commission meetings, things sure. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, usually when I got in trouble. Um, my mom would make me go to these meetings with my dad. So, so I got to hear a lot of the things that we talk about today in our city. Yeah. That in this we're still we're talking about. Then. We're still yeah. there. And, yeah. And so you know, um, so that that was one of the reasons why he left the city is because he had a, a different vision of what our city could be, could become, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of um, restraints that mm-hmm. they well we can't do that. Can you, we can't. You know, we can't There's some that. article that just came out this week that says Cheyenne's the one of the worst run cities. And I was like, you I know, didn't read it. I didn't open it. That was just the line. I was like, yeah, uh, yeah this is going to be depressing. No, I'm you like, know, oh, man. I, and I don't want to say, I mean, there's a lot of positive things about it. But like I said, with my dad, um, vision. I mean, we, we talk about the, the rec center. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've struggled. We've failed to get our rec center in this town. Back in the 70s, my dad actually had a rec center built. And that was the neighborhood facility down on the south side. Now, much smaller scale, but understood that, that was necessary right. in this town. Um, so, anyways, he had a lot to do when he went into the private sector. Um, kind of ironic, but the city, county, the city and county had a planner. But the county hired my dad to be their planner. Oh. And so he was instrumental in, in having the Laramie County Health Unit built. Um, getting the new jail, the new parking structure over there. Um, so he was a visionary. Yeah. Yeah. And he did the... Um, um, if you don't mind, I'll tell you a little story about the, the new courthouse and that. It was all him. They actually wanted to name that after him, but he wouldn't allow him. He said, huh. there's too many people that were involved in this, and I don't want to take light. So that's why they did the monument. But um, So when they were doing this, this county building, there's the old part, and then there's the new part. So on the new part, there was a, a thing called Castle Dare. Um, it was a little carriage house. It was basically where the fire station was. 
and um, they didn't want they were going to move it they didn't want to destroy it because it had some history to it and so this was a big ordeal when they were going through this deal and um, so I remember coming home late one night and the phone rang it was probably 10 30 11 o'clock at night and um, he was upstairs and he answered the phone and I picked up the phone downstairs because I was thinking it might have been Sandy calling me late and I didn't want my parents to get mad because you know <laughs> we didn't have cell phones back then right and so I pick up the phone and I hear the guy start talking hey Pete this is da 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 and so I hung up the phone so I kind of went upstairs because I didn't know what was going on and I was kind of listening to his half of the conversation and basically what it amounted to is they said hey we've tried everything we could to move this thing it's not going to happen and there was just like this big this big contingency of people that said we had to preserve mm -hmm. this castle there and so um, one of the things that I think my dad did very well is he he was he had a lot of conviction to what he did and what he thought should be done and the, the people in this community rallied around that because they, they had trusted him and what he if he decided that it was something that was important and needed to be done they trusted that so so basically he, he told the guy okay it needs to be gone by seven o'clock they had to tear it down so they tore it down there was a little pushback whatever so fast forward to um, having the building built and everything well incidentally my dad passed away literally the day after they um, dedicated the building so oh, like he oh my gosh I think he honestly stayed Just to make sure that, that, that yeah, project sure. was so they, they dedicated the building and everything and then he passed away the next day so about a year later <clears throat> um, one of the commissioners I think it was Fred Emmerich um, called my mom and said, um, you know, we'd like to do a monument to Pete, and uh, would you be okay with that? And he said, she said, yeah, that would be great. So he went out to this boneyard, they call it, where there's, you know, there's stones and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And he told the guy, he said, I want something about this big, it's got to be flat, the whole nine yards, because they're going to put this bronze thing on it. And so the guy said, I, I think I have, know exactly what you want. So he went over and pointed it to him, he said, that's, yeah, that's it, that's perfect. The guy goes, yeah, that came from the old castle there. Oh. So it was kind of a full circle. <laughs> full circle. So, That's so cool. So if you ever, it's on the southwest corner of the. Of yep, the I'm gonna go get yes. it. I'll get a picture of yeah. it. Yes. And, um, that's that 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 block is from the castle there. So I always thought there's some irony there. But, that is. Uh, but anyways, getting back to my story. <laughs> um, so born and raised here. Been in the restaurant business for a, a long time. Um, really had a passion. I worked for. Um, I worked for a couple businesses for a long time. I worked for Sherry's. Actually, worked for the owner of Sherry's way back when it was way different than it is now. Used to do everything from scratch, everything. Um, and uh, my wife worked there. She actually worked there before I did. That's how I got the job. I used to go pick her up. We were in high school, uh -huh. and or she was. I think. She, well, I think we were both in high school, and then she graduated. She's uh, older than me. She'll appreciate me sharing that. Um, <laughs> But um, I would go see her all the time, pick her up or visit her at work or whatever. And so one of the managers said, why don't you get a job here? Like, you're here all the time. Yeah. And um, I was uh, I was working at Taco Bell at the time for uh, a person that I give a tremendous amount of credit for my work ethic and stuff uh, because um, back then the days, we had 30 seconds to get the order out to Taco Bell. And our oh manager literally stood with a stopwatch. And if you weren't getting it, she'd grab you by the shirt collar and take you offline and you had to go do the what I thought is the worst thing in the world is slice all olives. And oh. You had to take a number ten can, open it, slice them, and so nobody wanted to do that. So used to, we were motivated to get done. But anyway, so I ended up going to work for Sherry's. I uh, went to college. Um, I really was good at pool uh, at college because I didn't go to class ever, and, <laughs> and uh, I just I didn't know. I went for something that I thought I wanted to do. I had no interest in doing it. So I took a semester off. Um, I continued to work. I was a server at Sherry's, and then uh, I went back to college again. And uh, I got even better at pool because that I didn't want to do what I was thinking there either. <laughs> and so uh, basically, I just kind of immersed myself into work, and and I um, thought I, I must have done pretty good at it. Well, in the meanwhile, um, a corporation bought up Sherry's. So then there's levels of management. So you had mm -hmm. assistant managers, GMs, you know, regional managers, and then all these people. So one of the regional managers was in, and he kind of was watching me wait tables. And I think one of the things that happened is there were empty tables in the station, in the restaurant, but there were people on a wait. 
and he, he couldn't. He's like, why are those people in the wait? We have tables. And they said, well, they're waiting for a sta- uh, table in Jerry's station. The station's Aww. full. So he pulled me aside, and he said, look, you know, I think we need you at a different level. Like, maybe would you be interested in management? And I said, well, maybe. And then he said, um, we have an opening in Laramie, and uh, like you go over there. And so I thought about it for a while, and I thought, well, you know what? I didn't like LCCC. I just figured it was because of LCCC. I'll go over to Laramie. I'll go to school at UW. I'll get my degree. I'll be, have a real job, all that sort of thing. Well, that never happened. I got over there, and I worked a lot. I learned the business. I really enjoyed it. And then I started getting promoted pretty quickly. I was pretty young. I was 22, I think, 21, 22. And I was a GM. And that's kind of what ignited my passion for food. So I worked for them, for Sherry's, for 13 years. Then I was recruited to uh, away from to Chili's. I worked for Chili's for about seven years. And then... Um, but all the while, I co- always kind of had this vision of my own place. Matter of fact, I think somewhere I have a notebook of a restaurant concept with uniforms, plates, the menu, thing, the whole thing. And um, we uh, actually, at one time, we looked at the old Whipple House, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. We, we wanted to do that, but it wasn't just going to make it happen. Um, so about the time I turned 40, um, we decided wanted to do it, and Sandy was um, pretty we're pretty conservative people, so kind of, you know, that risk and stuff like that, scary. Mm-hmm. And she said, look, you know, if you don't do it, you'll probably <coughs> regret it down the road. So we, we kind of took the plunge, and we opened up Pizzeria Venti. Right. And then um, we did really well there. And then um, out of our love for, for burgers and based on location, <laughs> um, Two Doors Down kind of was born. And what year was that? So that was, uh, we did Pizzeria Venti in 2005, and then Two Doors Down was 2009. Okay. 2009. So, uh, just circumstances kind of worked out. It's just like, I know, you know, you talk about fate or whatever. Well, it was on your heart, yeah. right? It was on your heart to do something bigger. Well, and the location <laughs> really um, led to it. There was another restaurant. So, so where it is now, that was part of um, Better Rest or Better Sleep. So right. they had furniture in there, and and it actually where Pizzeria Venti was, they did um, log furniture. So they had that building as well. Well, then. Somebody bought that out. Funny how that works, too, because we found that location walking around on Cheyenne Day. And uh, I called the guy, and I talked to this guy, and it was um, Fred um, Albert, who was owner of Albert's Telesonic. And it's about this tall guy. He's pretty well-known in Cheyenne. And um, so we get to talking, and he basically told me how he was going to rent to everybody else. He wasn't going to rent to me. And I'm like, well, why did this guy meet with me? So we started talking, and at the end, I said, well, I really want this location, and how, how can we make this work? And he said, well, let me talk to my grandson. And when he said grandson, it all clicked with me. Oh, this is Fred Albert. I'm like, okay. So I had coached his grandson in baseball uh-huh. from the time he was, like, nine years old through 12. And then I'd always had a really good relationship with him. As he grew up, his dad would bring him in mm-hmm. to see me, and he went away to college to play football, and he'd come back. When he'd come back to town, they'd always come and see me. So we kept in touch all this time. And it just all clicked. So I, I immediately called Fred Kauser, <laughs> and I said, hey, Fred, like this Jerry. Let's sit down and talk. So we talked, and he convinced Grandpa, Nicole, uh, to do it. So it was kind of interesting how that all came kind of full yeah. circle, too. And then um, shortly after that, a restaurant opened up in the other half where Two Doors Down is now. Okay. And so they converted that into a restaurant. And then I kept in touch with Jack Spiker, who was the, the um, uh, owner of the building. And I said, I don't, like, if that ever comes available, talk to me first. And so he said, okay. And that's kind of how it So both of those deals, were they done with realtors? Or did you guys just sort of broker it between you we and just those did owners? It. We, um, yeah. And, uh, you know, there's, there's pros and cons to it, as you yeah. are well aware. Yeah. Um, the nice part is, you know, there was not a whole lot of back and forth. We just, yeah, you just made the agreement. It was just yeah. like, I mean, and even our leases were like very, you know, Fred's like, Hey, what do you, what do you want to do? Like, yeah. And, and the, the beautiful thing about like, um, Fred and Jack Spiker as well, were that, you know, they, there's an understanding of like, we're going to sign a five year lease or four. I think, I think with Fred, we did a four, a four and two, three year extension. So we were there 10 years. Um, but he said, look, you know what, if you, if you're not making it, 
cannot make it. Like, what am I going to do? Hold mm-hmm. me to, <laughs> hold right. you to this lead? I, like, right. So there was just always this understanding, and Jack was the same way. Well, what do you, what do you want to do? What's what is comfortable for you? You know, and so I was pretty fortunate in that. In that. Well, I do think that is kind of part of the business community a little bit that that those relationships are built. And I think of the example of my um, stepdad who every um, every morning there was a group of them that met down at the village inn at you know, 8 or 8.30 every morning. And that went on for years and years. And I can't imagine the number of business deals, oh, yeah. you know, agreements, transactions that took place over coffee and maybe some eggs <laughs> at village inn True. every morning. I mean, so very, it sounds very similar. When I was at Sherry's, uh, when you bring that up, yep. um, there's three, um, I don't know how you want to say it. Well, um, there was three people that worked together. It was Larry Seitz, uh, Dr. Seitz, mm-hmm. um, MJ Gerch. Mm-hmm and Jim Martin, who was a realtor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they were all partners, so they had different properties and stuff. They had, they had a ranch, I believe. They were actually the developers that built the Sherry's. And oh. so that they rented Sherry's out, they built it, and then leased it back to Sherry's for 20 years. And then they did the same thing in the Scotts Bluff location for Sherry's. So, you know, same thing. Every morning yeah. those guys are coming in, having coffee. You, you'd think they're just shooting the... Oh about, no! But no. the game last night or whatever, they're, yeah. you know, they're on a napkin. Yeah, they got napkins. So, yes, yes. You know, it, it's and I think that's one of the things that um, is, you know, we we, talk, we can talk about all the challenges with Cheyenne and whatnot, but I think that's yeah. one of the the benefits is because there is a, a close knit and usually there, you're not too many degrees of separation between right. somebody else, right? And things can happen a little bit maybe quicker, a little bit more. Um, amicable for both sides you know it's not i mean i guess it's nature of people to want to do more or better you know but i I think when you when you actually have a relationship with somebody you know you there's some latitude on both sides like i agree i understand you need to make a living and this person says i understand that you know you're trying to make a living you know so Mm -hmm. let's let's meet somewhere i you know i you know classic example is our location on and Del Range that we had and we had that for four years and uh, a lot of people there's been a lot of speculation over the years that people don't know us but the reason why we closed that location is just simply our lease ran out and we could not come to a agreement. Was, an agreement was, yeah because mm-hmm. the guy that owned the property he's never even been to Cheyenne he's oh. from California and that makes a difference and that's what I was going to say it there's does. that Cheyenne yeah. aspect where you have someone who like you from Cheyenne and then the owners from Cheyenne they can see the bigger picture and how this is an investment in the community. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. and that's exactly right. It's like, do we have another empty building or do we have something that we're all People love. I've never understood, and and you Mm -hmm. probably have a way better grasp on it. It's like malls. You're like, why are they so empty? Why wouldn't you just lower the rent and have someone in there? Yes. You know, (laughs) but but there's, there's probably some number or some, you know, criteria that says, hey, if we're here and we're taking a loss, we're not paying taxes or whatever, you know, there's, there's some right. things, but, um, I, it's always beyond me. And I, and matter of fact, when we were doing the North location and, um, we ran into some challenges and, and I basically had that conversation with some of our city officials. I said, look, man, do you guys just want to have another empty building or are you going to help me get this thing up and start revenue, uh, generating tax revenue? Right. Like, you know, we're, we're here to, to help, you know, we're here to do, we, of course, you know, it's a business. There's something in it for us, but there's also something in it for, we employ, hey, maybe we employed your little, your daughter, mm-hmm. your granddaughter, or, or, yes. or, you know, you guys have a place to go eat because everything's full and there's nowhere that has a banquet room or whatever, you know, so we're filling a niche, hopefully that, yes. um, so if we can work together and get it done, mm-hmm. and that's, that's <laughs> always been my, like, um, I think my, very cut and dry about sort of thing like that it's mm-hmm. like it's and it's it's a challenge because um I, I told you before i can't keep my mouth shut and sometimes it gets me into trouble because i say what i really think and what i feel mm-hmm. and a lot of people don't like to hear that because they well you know there's a pol- there's a procedure and all, there's yeah. a procedure but you know what there's always ways around it there's mm-hmm. there's exemptions that can be had I, you see it all the time yes you see it and and uh I could I could give you many examples of things mm-hmm. that I have gone through it that have not been uh, you know the the easiest or the most productive way, but we've just made it through. And um, when it could have went so much for everybody, for everybody, right? Could I have mean, went differently. You know, yeah. Tell, inspector <clears throat> want to come in and face me. I'm not 
I'm not a mean person, but I am very direct, and I can be very uncom- uncomfortable year-round. And so, um, you know, those people don't want to see me, you know. <laughs> it, when we were doing Pizzeria Venti, it was unbelievable. I went to, um, we were getting close, and the inspectors came in, and um, they kind of made their final run. And, and Pat Collins was a, um, a city councilman at the time. And he called me, and he said, hey, Jerry, how's things going? I said, how's these inspections going and stuff? I said, hey, everything went good. I said, the only thing is we can't, they can't bring power to the building that I need because the guy that does it is on vacation. So there's one guy. <laughs> and so he's, like, small town so he's like, what? <laughs> and so literally I was in the front of the restaurant. I hung up the phone with him. And he called me back, and he said, Jerry, I called Black Hills. They're going to get some, or it was trying, like, Gold Tower, I think, back then. Mm-hmm. And he said, I called them. They're going to get it taken care of for you. That's awesome. And so I literally was on the phone, and I was walking to back to the, and when I got to the back door, the truck pulled up to do it. Wow. They pulled the guy off a of vacation to get it done. So, you know, again, a small town. Um, I know I've known Patrick forever. I think yeah. I bought my first mountain bike from him when he was, at recycled wow. cycles when he mm-hmm. before he started his own business. So sorry about that. So um, you know, that's those are those are the benefits. Well, I think about what you said earlier, like with your dad getting involved with boards or being on the city council, and he clearly was able to make a difference in Cheyenne with all the work that he did. But I and I think everybody that gets involved is getting involved to make a difference. But I. The thing that I've always lived by as well is that sometimes you have more freedom to make bigger changes or more of a difference when you're not working within government. When you have the freedom to be those three guys sitting down at Sherry's in the morning to talk about development, talk about buildings, talk about how we can, you know, put this person to work or have this business going or whatever. There's some real freedom in that as well. So there's less freedom when you're working within government to make those changes. And those, you know, there's a time and a place for everything. There has to be people working in government to keep a community moving forward or a state moving forward. But you also need business owners and community residents and, you know, everybody involved to um, to make a difference. And I just think there's some real freedom in that. So Well, you can think outside the box. Yes, you know, yeah. When, you, when you're in government or when you're even in corporations itself, there's – there's a manual. There's only there's a, there's parameters that are put on you yes. and restrictions. <laughs> so you have to fall within those. I, you know, we hate even going back to Sherry's, but when I worked for Sherry's, the corporation that bought us out was headquartered out of California. So everything that we operated by from the rest of the country was based on what California, which you were allowed to do or not allowed to do in California, which which made it very difficult because right. you're sitting there going, like, oh, like why are we doing this? Well, in California. You this know, is how we do it. it, it you know, so so you, you, you face that, those challenges. But um, when you're on your own, you, you yeah. just kind of make your own playbook and you kind of go by the, you know. I, I remember when we were starting our, our business and I went to our attorney and I said, so do we want to do a um, employee handbook? And our attorney said, no. And I go, no, we don't want to. And he said, no. He said, the, the less mm-hmm. that you have, the, the less you're, you know, because if you put it Bound in the book and you don't follow it, that yeah. book less is more. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. he said, you know, you, you know, we're in a state where it's a right to work state, whatever. Right. So, you know, of course you have to, you have to operate with integrity and you have to operate, operate with some sort of, you know, within the, the boundaries of the law and stuff like that. But, you know, if you say, hey, you know, if you're late three times, you're going to lose your you job. You have to stick you to know, that. And you mm-hmm. don't do it. You might as well throw it out. You know, you have a terrible right. employee, three time, late three times, you get rid of them. You have a good employee, and you're he's like, late Ugh. three times over, and you go, well, yeah. you know, I understand that. And so so yeah. tell us a little bit about the the property, your decision to open up the, the batting cages. Oh, the, the factory? Yeah. So was that building was that did you already own that space or did you purchase it how did how did that come about so about i'd say probably about nine years ago um i approached jack about buying the building okay and um so he we kind of went back and forth and and basically um i the best my recollection i think he was looking at a property and it kind of fell through so we sort of went cold on it we just kind of backed off um but my son so in 2014 um my son was playing baseball. He was a pretty high-level baseball player. He was invited by Team Colorado to play for them in the fall, and they traveled around the country. So he really needed a place to work out. So at that time, 
there was two there's so you may or may not know this but there's six garages behind uh, two doors down in the factory. I so did not know building. that. <laughs> so six garages. Uh, honestly, I think it's one of the best buildings in Cheyenne because it has that. Yeah. It has an elevator. You know, all the plumbing, electrical's been. So if I ever decide to sell, I'll let you guys know. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be yeah. worth a lot. Yeah, so, Stay in touch. So anyway, um, so we had two garages that were behind the bed store at that time. And um, I was driving home one day, and I saw the four garages, and I got out of my car, and I kind of walked it off. And so I went in and I talked to Jack. I said, Jack, what do you think about flipping garages? You guys could take this one. I'll take this one and I'll pay you a little rent for it. And so he thought about it for a couple days and he came back and said, yeah, I think so. So we built a batting cage in there. Um, And it was primarily for him just to work out. So as age 15, um, Braxton um, made the varsity for post six, which as a freshman to be a starter uh, was pretty good. Yeah. So... I think between him being kind of on this little on this stage and stuff, for, yeah. and then people knowing that I had coached, because I coached way before I had kids. I actually coached the very first competitive team that came out of Cheyenne um, back in 1995. So I didn't have kids yet. I didn't, or my daughter, I think, may have been just born or was born during that season, but no, I wasn't coaching anybody. Like I told you, I was coaching Fred. That was before that. Yeah. So, um, so anyway. Um, so people had known that I had coached, and he's getting on the stage. So we had people. I remember one, one, and this kid right now is a senior in high school. He was, uh, I believe, nine years old, and his mom stopped us in the parking lot after a post-six game and said, would you guys be willing to work with my son? And we Aww. still work with him today, and Aww. he's going to go, go play college baseball. Aww. And so um, and, and uh, we said, yeah. I mean, so Braxton started working with them, and then, um, we had another kid. So there was about five kids that kind of got involved just because somebody told somebody else. And that's really how the, bus- the business was built. We never went out and just kind of advertised that we do this or anything like that. So over the time, it just started growing and growing and growing. Well, about the time um, he went to college, it was going to be challenging because I have a business to run, <laughs> and I was still doing these lessons. So I could only do a few kids at a time, and then he would come back. On break and help and he would take on more and then you know during covid um i think he got up to like 50 kids wow during covid and um so it just started and at that time is when he started saying dad we need more space we need more space and so he was out perusing looking for buildings and whatnot and i kept saying yeah but you keep going back to school like this is good because i'm here but i can't be over there if I'm over there, I'm not here, and vice versa. Sure. Right. So um, it kept, again, it kept growing. And so finally, um, it's been two, we bought it in April. So it'll be three years in April that we bought the building. Um, but I went to Jack again. I said, hey, this is like, <laughs> I must have went, it probably drove him crazy because I must have right. went in that building a um, hundred times with the tape measure and saying, can we, Figuring can we out retrofit how you could, this? And there yeah. was a balcony. Yeah. So I had to imagine, like, can we open this up? So I got a, a buddy of mine um, who was a structural engineer, and he got another buddy of his, and they came and looked at it, and they kind of decided that this is what they could do to get the to remove the balcony because that's low, you know carrying a lot of load weight and stuff, and open it up so we had the height we needed. Um, we could establish the distance. The cages are bigger than most cages. Most cages are 12 feet wide. Ours are 14. Okay. Um, so. So we were able to, uh, like I said, I probably drove Jack crazy going in there and measuring, and just I just wanted to make sure. And so then we decided to pull the trigger and do it. And um, by this time, I was up to about 30 kids, and I had probably 40 on weight. I just couldn't, I didn't have any more time to do them. And then when Braxton got home, he started taking over the weight and then just built it. And I think we're over... Um, 200 kids a week that we pump through there. Wow. So um, it's beca- become a second job that I didn't really anticipate. Uh, I but it's close by. It's yeah. right there. It's, yeah. it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really people go, wow, it's a baseball version of Top Golf. And it's like, oh, kind of. I mean, yeah. you can order, you can eat, <laughs> your parents can sit there and watch. We do 
um, leagues. We do all kinds of different things. We're, we're do, we do live events. So during the summer we, or during the um, winter here, we've had some college kids come back that have worked with us in the past or maybe even haven't worked with us, but we bring them in and they, they're pitchers or whatever, so they get to see live hitters. We bring in hitters and they face each other. Um, so they, they're all getting work, so it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. I think we're going to do another one um, Friday with a couple of college kids. Um, we do a hitting league, which um, that's gotten to be huge. Um, I, Hit Tracks is our simulator, and um, my understanding is that we ran the biggest league that they've ever been part of. Wow, and that's they're, great. They're worldwide, so um, so it's it's pretty awesome. That's I'm still trying to recover from my voice from talking over all the kids and yeah. the music. <laughs> and if you've ever been in there, there, I tell you, it just gets a lot. And the, the parents sit upstairs, and they're able to look down, and we also uh, mirror the, the simulator so they can see mm -hmm. the, the result of the simulator. So, um, but, I mean, to think, I never really thought of that. I never thought of that as a business opportunity. I never thought of it as a, as a, um, a thing. I, I did know that a long time ago, my son, um, when he started playing competitive, uh, to be perfectly honest, um, my passion's always been football or baseball, but he was something else on a football field. Ah. And I always thought that that's where he'd go. And so I never pushed it on him or anything like that. And then he was asked to try out for a team. He made the team. And in his uh, makeup says, I'm not just going to be average at anything. And he worked real hard at it. And um, he had some very good coaches. Um, he worked. He was around some really good players. That team, in my opinion, is one of the best teams that's ever played out of Cheyenne. We played at the majors level. Um, won over 35, 39 tournaments. First team ever to go to Cooperstown and play, get a bid mm -hmm. to play there. Um, made a fifth place finish there. Went to national tournaments. All Matter of fact, of the first year, their nine-year-old season, they played, um, we won the state championship in mm -hmm. Colorado. And of that group, um, eight of those kids went on to play college baseball. Congratulations. So, yeah, that's, that's a great testament yeah, to the so, work that you've done. Well, it was, and so what happened and where the factory sort of kind of came into play was that because we were at that level, um, we had uh, players that were military that moved away. We had a couple kids that were in the military, and so they moved away. Uh, we had a kid that was, um, his dad lived here and his mom lived in another state. Mm -hmm. So during the summer he'd be here, but at some point he decided that he was going to stay there and play as he got a little bit older. So um, it's hard to fill those, those spots. And I thought to myself, if a kid doesn't make a team, how will they ever make up any ground? Mm -hmm. and, and with my own son, too. So his first tryout, I mean, like I said, I coached a competitive team. I sat at the tryout. There was two or three kids that were clearly better than everybody else. There was about ten kids that weren't sure what hand to put the glove on, and there was like the 50 or 60 in the middle that were all just about the same, and that's where my son was, is in that. And so of that, they picked the kids, because uh, I wasn't coaching at the time. I helped coach the the, co the head coach asked me to help coach after the team was picked. But um, so I was sitting in the stands just watching this. I didn't know where he was going to come out. Didn't really wasn't really concerned either way because, like I said, he was he was passionate about football. He could tell you anything about football. So, um, but then we had that season with practicing and all that sort. And we came back the next year for our tryouts again. And those same group of kids showed up, and the kids that were the ten that were on our team were like here, and everybody else was here. That's awesome. And I said, how how, how do we get to ever, the other kids? Yeah, yes. when we lose a kid. How do we bring a kid to that level? And and we're progressing. We start out at double A level, then go to the triple A level, and the majors mm -hmm. level. The majors level. There was only us in Wyoming, and there was two teams in northern Colorado that were at that level. Everybody else was in the metro area because you need that population. Sure. So. <laughs> How do you how do you get a player to that level? You can't, or if you didn't make a team, how are you going to make it the next team next year when you lost out practice? You don't have a place to facility. There's no coaching for you, yeah. stuff like that. So that's kind of and where there's it definitely like a need in Cheyenne. Yeah, and still because you can't serve every kid, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, no, we well, still have kids on the way. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's it's tough, and and uh, unfortunately, um, it, well, fortunately for us. The, the recipe for success is a little bit easier than most people are going to experience because I have a restaurant that's established that is carrying 
she carried the bigger part of that weight. Right. And then they kind of serve each other, right? So sure. somebody comes in to hit, and they go, "Can I get a beer over here?" And you're like, "Yeah." So they go get a beer. So they it above it yep. you know helps the restaurant and vice versa. They just got done eating, and they're like, "Oh, what's that? Oh, you can rent a cage. Okay, we're gonna go over here and rent a cage." Um, to build a freestanding batting facility, it's just hard. It to, would be hard, right? Because yeah. you ninety percent of your clientele is available only a the, small yeah. percentage of time. <clears throat> you know, in, in the summer when the kids are out of school, they don't need to be inside a batting facility. The, the coaches take them out to the field. They're playing. Um, they're practicing outside. Um, you know, in the winter. Your clientele doesn't get out of school till three o'clock or four. So now you're trying to jam everything from three o'clock till maybe nine yeah. o'clock at night. And, you know, there's only so much that you can, you know, and, but meanwhile, you're still paying the heat that whole time. You got maintenance, yeah. you have, you know, um, the, the, if you, I mean, unless you're fortunate enough to have the money just to build it and not have that hanging over your head, um, you know, you have that mortgage or whatever hanging on over. So to make those numbers work, very, very difficult uh, and almost impossible, I, honestly, because, like, um, I don't know if you're familiar or ever heard of um, um, VBAT, and it's a, it's, a, it's a franchise, and they're batting cages, and they're, they're huge. They have, like, 15 cages. They have, um, they sell apparel or equipment, stuff like that, but um, I have personally um, met several owners, but none of them do that as their job. They all have jobs, and then they, they do have that. those businesses. Yeah. So I don't know that it's sustainable as a business, like just to just by itself to run it. And is and and most of those are in big markets too. So like we'll sure. go to you know when we're down in Scottsdale. There's one across from um, Talking Stick, and um, you know they'll have the lanes open and they're playing dodge. You know a group of kids yeah. are playing dodgeball or something. They're not even doing baseball stuff. It's just a space that. A daycare or something rents out so they can mm -hmm. go do it so um, but you know you have that or you have a large retirement community and they might have a, a retirement league that goes on during the day or something. there's an like audience that. for it yeah. or but yeah. here I mean not saying it can't but it's just it's difficult and we've mm -hmm. had I, I think people look at us and go oh there's we could do you know we could do that sure. it's like well I mean I'm not saying you can't I'm just saying it's difficult yeah you know, I do think it's ideal that you have the restaurant right yeah, next yeah. to it and then well, you can be there and float back and forth when you are when both of them are open so to kind of round this up one of the commonalities between with our guests that have come on here and shared their jump stories is kind of what we're calling them no, your story here okay. today um, there's a commonality between all of them in that there's been you know essentially something on their heart that sort of propelled them forward, whether it was today or five years from now or 10 years from now, you know, whatever the case is, at some point it's on your heart and you make the decision to move forward. Um, the other thing I'm noticing is that everyone has a lot of balls in the air. Like they have a lot of ideas. Everybody's an idea factory and you're kind of trying to, you know, um, decide how you're going to pull it all together. And then of course being innovative, like you've done impaired your restaurant with the batting cages to make it all work. So I think it just sounds really amazing. But one final question I would have for you is for anybody that's thinking about walking a similar journey as yours, what would be one piece of advice that you would give to them? Um, I think I, I might not be able to just get one, but I, <laughs> you, hit, you hit it on like being passionate. Yeah. Yes. I, I don't, I don't get up in the morning and look at like, I have to go to work yeah. um, because I, to me, I enjoy what I do. There are challenges every day, um, yeah. but I enjoy that. And, um, so, you know, it's a, it's a passion of mine. I and there's probably moments where you start to question, did we do, did we do yeah. the right thing? Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Of course, you know, the, I remember at Pizzeria Venti, you know, when we first opened, and there's a lot of unknown. And like I said, you know, I had a friend that literally kind of pushed me over the edge to, to do the business because I had talked to him, and he was a manager for me. Um, and then he went to, to Casper, and he opened up his own business. And he kept, I said, man, I, don't, I just don't know, like, what, you know. And it's scary. You know what he said? Yeah. He said, they can only take your stuff once. <laughs> yeah. And I was like. You're not going to okay. die from this. Yeah, if I, guess, <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, yeah. what do you get? Mm. So, so I think, um, but I just remember, like, there's days when I thought, man, did we have, did we serve our last customer? Like, are we ever going to get another customer? 
and then you get to this point where you just understand that there's a, a an ebb and flow about how things work. You know, there's, you know, we I had to learn a different um, type of flow about business because I had operated businesses on Del Range. You know, Sherry's and Chili's were out there, so you know the shopping patterns and stuff like that. Whereas downtown, especially at the time, there wasn't a whole lot going on downtown. Mm-hmm. So the day after Thanksgiving, we used to be bombed at Chili's or Sherry's. We were. It was like a graveyard here, you know, oh. because everybody's out there. <laughs> sure. Yeah, and there was nothing and, to bring mm-hmm. them out here. Sure. And so so I think to be passion, passionate about it, like you, you mm-hmm. said, you know, something in your heart that says, hey, this is what I really love to do. I don't look at it as work. It is going to be work. You know, I, I, don't, I, I tell people often, um, I don't, I'm not getting rich doing this because if I was rich, I don't know that I would work six days a week, 14 hours a day. Sure. Um, you know, I might be a little bit more free with my time, but I enjoy what I do. I, I, I have a full slate of, of lessons every day. I, I'll, I'll do 13 lessons today, I think, just myself, not including Braxton. And um, I, don't, I don't need to do that, but I enjoy working with the kids. I enjoy seeing their progress. There's nothing mm-hmm. like their face light up when it clicks, you know. There's, I mean... I've worked with her niece for, I think, mm-hmm. it's probably going on four years now. Mm-hmm. And just to watch where she is from where she was. Mm-hmm. Uh, we tell we have some girls that are really good that are like 16 right now that we've worked with for two or three years. And um, we have one that's going to go Division One, which will be wow. Louisiana Tech. I mean, awesome. she's And she probably could ride or take pretty much wherever she wants to go, but that's where she chose, and, and it's good for her. But we tell those girls all the time, this group of girls, they're going to be better than you guys. <laughs> I mean, and I, I yeah. genuinely mean it because if they stay if they the keep course, going. Yeah, if yep. they, if they, you know, the one thing about the girls going to Louisiana Tech, um, we have Braxton has built um, a workout facility. My daughter, my daughter is an athletic trainer for the Seattle Mariners. So oh. she's, she's helped. They got together and they put the, up a workout and we have it posted and, any of our kids can come in and they can go anytime. We have all the facilities for them. They can work out and do those things that are going to help them get better. Mm-hmm. And she always comes and does it. That's and great. so, you know, that, passion that, again, like yep. she's going to get where she wants to go because of that. Right. I mean, yep. you know, people are born with gifts and, um, but you know, if they don't use them. Yeah. Then it's yeah. Yep. And, and not it being true to yourself. Them, and, I, and I tell people this all the time, baseball, softball, clump it together um you know there again you can't just say hey i'm big and i'm strong so it's going to carry me it's not you have to have a mechanic you have to have the mentality to do it and that mentality says hey i remember one day she was walking by the cage and she was like uh, bragging and she just got done working out and i said what's the matter and she said i did not feel like being here today and i said but you are yep and there's and the that's key the difference yes and so you know, and that's with anything. Like, you know, you don't feel like getting up. Yeah, yeah. So the fun question. we got to get in our oh, fun yes. question before we wrap a, this up. Yes, I have a. the last question I've asked every listener. Um, if you could purchase a property anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Wow. And I can do anything I want with it? Yeah. So if I had the wherewithal, and you're going to think this is really cheesy. <laughs> Never. Um, <laughs> this is really it's true because, it, again, it's my passion. I would purchase uh, and I would build or whatever property. I'd do it right here in Cheyenne. And I would do an indoor facility that would be available for basically every sport. Like a sports complex? Complex, yeah. Oh, I was just thinking that yesterday. We do need that. So we're going to cheer you on in that dream. (laughs) Yes, we are. We hope you win the lottery and make it happen. And I I tell people all the time, I can't win because I don't play very often. But every time it gets up to that several hundred million or billion dollar level, I think, well, somebody's got to win it, right? Yeah. So, like, <laughs> buy I, a and ticket. I, and I, I genuinely would do that. I would I would build a facility that kids could come in, yep. and uh, primarily, and I don't say I don't like adults or whatever, but kids need it. Kids yes. kids don't have the the resources. They don't have that opportunity. So, and hopefully, if you do right by the kids, then the kids pay back as they get older and they help. And mm-hmm. facilitating a future growth in that, and that's um, that's you know where our, our kind of vision is is like we, we try to do a lot with the community, 
um, because the community supports us and we try to give it mm -hmm. back. But in large part, we do it with the kids, the youth, because, yep. um, you know, I always tell people all the time, like, if you don't want some kid doing graffiti on your garage, you know, think about when you voted no on the yeah. Center. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Park, you know, right you didn't give them something to do. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's well, kind of Thank you so much for being on yes. here today. And thank this you has for been a joy. all the stuff you your dad's done and you, you have done. Yes, for Cheyenne. You're making a huge difference. And here. my mom, too. I and your yes. mom. I didn't yes. get into and her everyone. Story. And your wife. And, and your wife, yeah, yes. Yeah. And I, your kids. I'm okay. very blessed. So, yes. Um, well, thank you. Appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, yeah this has been you. great. episode of Beyond the Front Door is brought to you by Peak Properties in Cheyenne, Wyoming. With over 75 years of combined experience in real estate, it's our goal to help clients buy and sell and save by providing the information you want and the professional services you expect. Let us help you with your residential, commercial, HUD, income producing properties, as well as vacant land and rental needs. To learn more, visit www.sellcheyenne.com.